0: All right, well, we are continuing our Storyteller series this morning, looking at parables. We have spent uh, the past few weeks looking at the parables of the lost things, haven't we? We've been looking at the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then last week, we started looking at the parable of the prodigal son. And if you missed it, I would encourage you to, to catch up on Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Um, I think it was a good message, and a few people said that they found it encouraging. And so, yeah, go and, just go and jump on to that if you missed it. Um, I introduced us to this, or maybe some of you have heard it before, it was new to me, to this Jewish custom of kezazar, this idea that if a son were to, uh, were to waste his inheritance, whether that was uh, before or after his father had died, if he were to waste his inheritance, um, that it would bring such shame, not only on the family, but also on the wider community, that they would be cut off, that they would be cut off from their family, from their town. And so I described this this Kezazar ceremony, where they would take a clay pot and they would fill it with just rotten food and horrible smelling stuff, and then they would break this pot in front of of the son that had brought shame on the family and they would declare you are cut off and so we looked at that and how actually through through that knowledge of this ceremony of Kezazar when you look at this parable it perhaps brings new depths to the story so if you missed it I encourage you catch up I pray it will bless you. And so we looked last week at the younger son and him going away and squandering his inheritance. And so this week, we're just going to finish off this parable and we're going to look at what happened when he got home. So why don't you turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 25. And we're just going to finish off this story. It says this, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and and entreated him, but he answered his father, look at these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So good. So now remember that, that that title that's given, I don't know in your Bibles, in my Bible, the title is the parable of the prodigal son. But in the original text, when it was originally written, there were no chapters or verses, let alone titles. And so that title was given by someone who just thought it would be helpful. But actually, it's, it's probably not the most accurate title to, to bestow on this on this story, on this parable. In fact, perhaps it would be more accurate to say the parable parable of the prodigal sons, plural. Because in the first part, we looked at last week, the younger younger son, he he asks his father for his inheritance early and then he he goes away and he he squanders it, he wastes it. But then he gets to a point, he gets to rock bottom and he he comes to his senses and he, he returns home. He returns home uh, expecting Kezazar, like we looked at last week, but instead of being uh, cut off, instead of having this ceremony of, of shame and, and, and just being, being separated from his family, instead of that, he was welcomed home, he was embraced, he was, uh, he was restored to his position as a son of his father. And so it's interesting looking at this as a part of the, of the wider kind of picture of these three parables that we've been looking at over the, over the few weeks. Because at the end of each one of the parables, we see this moment of, of celebration, don't we? You know, in, in verse four, if we just kind of jump in back, when the, when the lost sheep was found, the shepherd then gathered around him, his, his friends and his neighbours, and he says, rejoice with me. Because he's found this lost sheep. And then again in verse 9, when the woman finds her lost coin, she gathers around her again, her friends and her neighbours, and she says, celebrate with me, because what was lost is now found. And so it's interesting that as we read this, this third parable in this trilogy of stories that halfway through this story, unlike the others where it was at the end, it's halfway through this story we get this, this celebration moment because the son has come home and the father restores him and he puts a, a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and then he calls for the fattened calf to be killed so they can what? So they can celebrate, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. It's almost like as you read this this parable that that maybe the third parable ends and then a fourth parable begins because it's like now his older son was in the field. It's almost like a a separate story is beginning. And up until this point, we, we didn't know anything about the second son. We knew that there was a father and that he had two sons, but we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know where he was or or what he was doing. But then in this verse 25, the second son enters. And we almost get this sense of a second story beginning. I believe something that Jesus was putting across here is that you can get lost in two ways. You can get lost in two ways. You can get lost running from God, And that's what we looked at last week with the the younger son. But then also, you can get equally lost at home. You can get equally lost at home. And that's what we're going to look at today with this, this older brother. Because you can get just as lost at home. You can get just as lost being at church every Sunday, week in and week out. Serving, giving, tithing, doing all the right things for God. And yet you can be just as lost. You can be just as lost. There's, there's a danger, I believe, for those of us who, who call ourselves followers of God, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, to become lost. It's easy to become lost. And actually, as you read through this parable, you'll see that, that I don't think the older brother recognized that he was lost. And in the same way, I don't think that perhaps some of us recognize that we're lost. Because, you know, we're doing all the right things for God. And so we believe that we're we're in that place, that we are where we should be. And yet we're lost. We're lost. The older brother got just as lost as his younger brother, arguably more so. And so over time, I think there's this danger that, that we can become lost. There's a danger that we can, uh, we can develop OBS. OBS, not IBS. That's something totally different. We can develop OBS, older brother syndrome. And what this looks like for us is when we, it's when we lose our heart for people who are far from God when we lose our heart for people who are far from God, because that's who Jesus came for, isn't it? That's the reason why Jesus came to earth, for the people who were far from him. He came to seek and to save the lost. Now remember again the context that this story is being told. Jesus is hosting a meal and the people who are at that meal are sinners, people who are far from God. And if we're not careful, we can perhaps lose our heart for those people who are far from God because we're busy just doing all the right things. We're we're doing what we think we should do. We're going through the motions and yet we lose the main thing that is about seeking and saving the lost. And so there's a beautiful thing that Jesus is doing here, telling this kind of second part of the story or this fourth parable, if you like. Because let's again remember the context. He's he's hosting this meal with the sinners and and those kind of reprobates are at the meal. But the Pharisees are on the outside and they're looking in. And and actually the reason he's telling these stories is in response to the grumbling of the Pharisees. They're sitting outside and they're having a bit of a moan and, and a whinge about the fact that Jesus is spending time with these sinners. And so we can see what's going on here. The, the story that we looked at last week of the younger son was directed at these so-called sinners, the, the people that are around the, the dinner table. But then this second part, this older brother, this, this fourth parable, if you like, I believe that's speaking to the Pharisees. That's speaking to the, the, the religious leaders. It's speaking to those people who are, who are doing all the right things week in, week out, and they believe that they are serving God faithfully, and yet they are lost. So now let's just walk through this text and see what's going on. In verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field. What was he doing? He was doing all the right things for his father. He was doing what he thought was necessary for his father. And then it says, And as he came near to the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. I love that he could hear the dancing. That's fun, isn't it? He could hear the dancing. There is a serious party going on in here. I don't know if you remember school dances. For me, school dances, it was like the, bo- the girls would be on one side of the room because, you know, boys and girls didn't mix because they're uh, girls. And so the girls would be over here and they'd be like doing their little dances, wouldn't they? And they'd be kind of chatting and giggling. And then the boys would be over here and they would either just be stood, you know, not making eye t- contact with the girls. Or there was this other, there was no middle ground. It's either this... Or they would link arms and just bounce up and down and do this kind of group jumpy thing. And I don't really know what that's all about, but that's certainly how things went down at my school dances. And maybe that's what's going on here. There's this kind of jumping up and down. He can hear the dancing. There is a party going on in this house. And so it says he could hear the music and dancing and he, he called one of the servants over and asked what was going on. I think it's interesting that he called over one of the servants to find out what was going on. You can almost imagine this conversation between the the older brother who'd just come in from a hard day's work and and now he hears that there's this party going on inside and he, he gets all indignant and it says that he gets angry at what he heard. A critical spirit will never go to the father with their problems They'll always find a servant to talk to. A critical spirit will never go to the father with their problems. They'll always find someone else to talk to. It's a bit like having a gossip and a moan about a situation. But instead of going to the person who you're upset with, instead of going to the person who can actually resolve this issue, you just gather around you some other people and have a whinge, have a moan and just drop in a corner knowing that actually this isn't going to make a difference because I need to go and speak to the father, to the person who has upset me, to the person who has hurt me and face that issue head on. And so the servant calls, uh, the the brother calls over this servant and he has this moan and and he says, what is going on in there? What what can I hear? And the servant says, oh yeah, your brother has come home. Your brother has come home and, and guess what? Your dad's killed the fattened calf and they're having a party. Come on, come on in and join the party. He's being invited in. You know, there's, there's two people in this story. There's two in this story who were upset by the, by the younger son's return. It was the older son was upset, but also... The fattened calf was pretty upset too. He wasn't too happy with what was going on here. And I think it's, it's almost easy to kind of gloss over the significance of the fattened calf in this story. But actually, it was a pretty big deal that the fattened calf was killed for this celebration. Some of you know that I enjoy a good bottle of wine, and that came from my dad. He was a bit of a wine snob. And so growing up, when I was an old enough age to to drink wine, all I ever drank was really good quality wine. We didn't drink kind of the cheap stuff. And so when I, I came to be buying my own wine, I found that I had to buy the good stuff. Otherwise, it didn't taste very nice. And so, I mean, Ruth and I, we found our favorite wine. It's eight pounds. At full whack, but we never buy it at full whack. We only buy it at Tesco's, £6.50. It's almost always on offer, which is great. But so we found this kind of middle ground. But uh, for my birthday this year, I was gifted a bottle of wine by my brother. Now, he had the same upbringing as me. And then he also went and lived in France for a year. So he knows good wine. And so he bought me this bottle of wine. And it's worth about £20, £30. So it's a decent bottle of wine. And so I got it for my birthday in February and it's still sitting in our wine rack because I'm saving it for a special occasion. I don't even know what that special occasion is but I'm saving it for a special occasion. And there's maybe a little bit inside of me that doesn't want to crack it open if the wrong people are in the house because they won't appreciate just how good this wine is. And so it's sitting there gathering dust and and waiting for the right occasion to show up. And I think it's a little bit like this because there's a process to get the the fattened calf ready. What you would do is you would let the the calf go out into the fields and, and graze on the grass like all the other cows for maybe six months. And then you would bring it in and lock it inside this pen and feed it like pellets and things to just fatten it up. But it wasn't allowed to wander around and do all the grazing that would kind of work off some of that excess fat. And so it would just grow and grow and it would become like a fine wine until it was ready for that special occasion. As an aside, and even more aside, if you like, do you know how many beef burgers you can get out of one cow? (laughs) Sorry to any vegans in the room. 1,600 burgers from one cow. So this fattened calf, well, that was a feast for a lot of people. And so the brother is having a moan about, about the party that's going on and, and there's another maybe interesting nuance going on here because if you remember the context in which these parables are being shared, it's, it's the, the grumbling of the Pharisees. And now the brother is having his little grumble. So there's, there's a nice little parallel going on there. And so he's out with the servant and he's having this moan and he's having this kind of sulk and strop that he's not happy with what's going on. And so that's not going to make any difference. But the father then comes out. It says the father comes out and the father's inviting him to come in. But, but the, the older brother he kind of cuts him off and he, he jumps into this entitled, self-centered speech, doesn't he? In verse 29, look at these many years that I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had devoured your property with prostitutes, I mean, how does he know what the younger son did? He, he doesn't know, unless, unless he sent out some spies to like get the gossip so he could, I don't know, throw some kind of details at his dad, but he doesn't know. How can you, this son has come home who's done all of this and you've killed the fattened calf for him. He's disgusted. He's angry. He's, there's bitterness. There's resentment in his tone. He shamed you, dad. He shamed you. He shamed our family. He shamed our community. What he deserves is kezazar. He deserves this ceremony. He deserves to be cut off. But instead, you're celebrating him. Instead, you're you're treating him better than you treat me. And look at the language that the older brother uses. He says, this son of yours. He doesn't say my brother. He says this son of yours. Because even though the ceremony didn't happen, in this older brother's mind, Kezazar is in effect His brother is no longer his brother. He has been cut off. This son of yours, he's no brother of mine. He is dead to me. I don't know, maybe we can relate to this older brother on some level. I think we probably have to uh, be a little bit uh, open with ourselves and maybe get a little bit deeper and, and break through some stuff that says, no, no, I-, I could never be like that older brother. But I think inside of, of maybe some of us, on some level, we can relate to him. You know, have you ever had a moan or a grumble? Maybe even it was just on that internal dialogue where you're kind of thinking to yourself, uh, someone is being more blessed than they deserve and we're judging people and we're thinking does God really know what they've done what why is he doing this for them does he not know who they are does he not know where they've been does he not know what they've been up to but look at me look at me I've been doing all the right things I've been ticking all the boxes where is my blessing it's almost this attitude of, well, I deserve it. I deserve it more than them. I deserve it because I've been doing everything that I should be doing. It Maybe even God owes me some blessings. I've earned enough in the, in the bank of heaven that I want to I wanna cash in some blessings. And yet we're not receiving that blessing, but someone else who we know has been sinning, We know what they've been doing, and yet they're being blessed. And so maybe we have that kind of little grumble inside, like the older brother. And those kind of thoughts, I think many of us have them. I know I have. And they can reveal within us. Those kind of thoughts, they can reveal within us an attitude that we're following God for what he can give us, instead of loving him for what he's already given us we're chasing after God for something instead of loving him because of who he is and I think the longer we're Christians the the easier it is to to almost forget about the grace that we received when we first came home because in that first moment, when we, when we first turned back to God and we said, God, I'm a sinner and I repent because I have done wrong and I, I need relationship with you. In that moment, we received that grace from God, that incredible free gift that he wants to bless each and every one of us with. And we receive that grace. And maybe we go about kind of a buzz for a period of time, living on that, that spiritual high, if you will. But maybe we let it decrease a little bit. Maybe we let that fire that was burning so strongly inside of us when we first came to God, we let it die down a bit. And maybe we go to a a conference to get the the fire stoked a bit and get it burning again. And then over time, it begins to dwindle a little bit. We're still doing the right things. We're going through the motions. We're coming to church every Sunday. We're serving on team. We're we're tithing. We're doing all this and, and that. But... Actually, the fire inside is going down. And then maybe we fall into that trap of, of pointing the finger. Well, God, have you seen what they're doing? Have you seen what he's done? Have you, have you seen what she's done? Like this older brother does, he says, don't you know what he's been up to? Squandering all your money on prostitutes and drink and drugs and all of that. What's that saying when you're you're pointing a finger at someone, there's one finger pointing at them and three fingers pointing back at you? Because it's easy to point the finger at other people and at their shortcomings without actually perhaps looking at what's going on in our own lives. C.S. Lewis said, those who don't think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. That's a challenge, isn't it? We need to be mindful of what's going on in our own lives. But why do we do that? Why do we, why do we fall into that trap of, of pointing the finger? I believe it's because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We point out other people's sins, maybe not audibly, maybe we're not, have you seen what? But inside, we know what they've been up to, and we do it because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It makes our sin look small in comparison Oh, well, I know what they've been up to, and I'm not as bad as them, so that makes me feel good. But, you know, if, if you don't see your need for grace as much as the worst sinner around you, then you're falling into this, this OBS, this older brother syndrome. So maybe ask yourself, can you recognise some of these attitudes in your own life? It can be hard, it can be a challenge to acknowledge that and admit that because there's, there's shame attached to that, isn't there? But maybe we can recognize some of that in our lives, some judgment, some bitterness, some resentment. Maybe there's some, some legalism that we're following the rules and, and they're not. And all of that is pulling us away from the grace of God. You see, this, this older brother, this older brother, he thought that his His younger brother should pay for what he'd done. He should pay for the disgrace that he'd brought on the family and on the community. He should be made to to wait at the gate, like we talked about last week. To wait there, to be spat at, to have things thrown at him, to suffer, to squirm, to to pay the, the consequences of his actions, to repay what he'd lost. But the truth is that this older brother he was confused about what was really lost he was confused about what was really lost because it's not about the money it's never been about the money it's about relationship it's about relationship it's about the reckless love of a father like we just sang and then the father comes out he says son acknowledging that he is his son and actually that word is like is the strongest possible word that he could have used in that it's, it talks about this this kind of deep intimate relationship of love and friendship and trust he says son you're always with me you're always with me and all that i have is yours he means that quite literally as well. All that I have is yours. Because uh, what would happen is the inheritance would be split two-thirds to the older um, to receive that kind of double portion, and then one-third to the younger son. But the older son, well, he's already taken his portion of the inheritance. So literally everything that the father has is his. All that is mine is yours. But he's forgotten his sonship he's forgotten who he is he's forgotten his position his place and he's almost living like a servant isn't he if you see what he says for years I've served you for years I've served you I've never disobeyed your command I've been doing all of these things I've lived to the letter of the law and I think it's It's this that that makes it perhaps more accurately the prodigal sons and not the prodigal son because Jesus here, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to those critical spirits. He's speaking to those of us who have got lost even in church. We've got lost in, in maybe the religiosity of our faith. Those who are striving for God's grace instead of resting in God's grace because it's not about obeying orders it's not about obeying rules it's about celebrating with heaven remember what it says after each and every time that something was found there was this moment of celebration after the sheep was found they celebrated after the coin was found they celebrated and after the younger son returned home they celebrated. And so now as the, as the parable comes to its conclusion, there's this repetition again of the celebration. What does it say? It says, you are always mine. You are with me. All that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be, gr- and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He's repeating this, this importance of the, the celebration moment. And I believe that as, he's ta- as the father is talking to this older son, there's an invitation here. There's an invitation from the father to his older son. Come and join the party. We are celebrating. You are my son. You are invited to this party you have a seat at the table don't exclude yourself but the older son the older brother he doesn't recognize his value we talked about this in the in the when we talked about the sheep and the coin that that actually the, the value of something is defined by the manner of the search And it's also defined here by the manner in which the the father is speaking to his son. That that reminder, you are my son. You are an heir. You you belong here. You are home. But the the older brother, he doesn't recognise his value. He doesn't see himself almost as a son. He's forgotten that he's lost, that he's an heir to his father, to to all that he has. But dad, I've been slaving away. I've been slaving away. I've been doing all of this stuff. And I have no doubt that the father appreciated all that his older son did all the hard work that he put in, all the, the time that he, that he spent, the faithfulness in which he stuck around and, and didn't disappear and didn't go off and squander. I have no doubt the father was grateful for all of that. But that doesn't give him his value. That doesn't give him his value. He didn't earn it. It was his birthright. It was his birthright. So as we close this morning, maybe we need to just ask ourselves, have we forgotten our value? Have we got lost in in the busyness of doing all of the right things that we've actually forgotten our place? It says on the door when you come in, welcome home because we want this to be a place where we can remind ourselves of who we are and whose we are. That we are sons and daughters of God. That we are home home when we are with him, that we are heirs of God. It's our birthright. We just need to accept it. We don't need to earn it. We don't need to work for it. We don't need to go through the motions doing all of the things. Does God appreciate it when we do? Absolutely. He loves it when we serve him with faithfulness and diligence, but that's not what gets us into heaven that's not what gets us into a relationship with God because Jesus paid the price he paid the price on the cross so that we can have that relationship with him with no cost with no need to strive with no need to do anything we just need to accept it you're invited to the party you just need to come on in you just need to come on in why don't we pray father god we thank you that that we are sons and daughters of you that we are heirs to all that heaven has to offer and so god we we just want to repent right now for, uh, for any attitudes or, or spirits or thoughts within us that have, have, uh, have judged other people where there's been resentment or, or bitterness or anger over maybe the blessings of other people when we feel we've been hard done by. May we remember, may we remember all that you have done for us already. May we be grateful with our portion, not looking for someone else's. Father God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us, that you bless us, and that you are for us. And may we hear that invitation this morning. We don't need to stand outside moaning, sulking. There's a party going on, and you're inviting us to come in. May we accept that invite in Jesus' name.